Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, Lord, and we thank you for allowing us to gather together on your holy Shabbat. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word received, your voice heard, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, breathe new life into us today that as we leave this place, we leave here changed and transformed for the purposes of your kingdom and the glory of your holy name. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. So this week we read Parsha Vaigash, which is Genesis 44, 18 through 47, 27, which ultimately culminates with the reunion of Jacob and Joseph in Egypt. But we see quite a bit happening leading up to this reunion that is vitally instrumental in the process. Last week's Parsha ended with Joseph threatening to imprison Benjamin over the wine goblet that was conveniently found, quote unquote found, in his bag, uh, an imprisonment that the brothers knew would literally kill their father if they had to come back with such news. But in what would seem like a completely unlikely set of circumstances, Parsha Vayigash, this week's Parsha, opens with Judah, of all people, pleading for Benjamin's life and ultimately volunteering his own imprisonment in substitution for Benjamin, so that Benjamin would be able to return home to Jacob. Keep in mind, Judah is the same brother who hatched, pitched, and led the plan to sell Joseph into slavery to begin with. Also, while Joseph was uh, in the well, in the, the pit, I'd imagine he was able to hear the horrendous conversation his brothers were having about him topside. And all this time, as Joseph's brothers have now appeared before him twice, Joseph has completely recognized them, but they have yet to recognize him at all. But he has been testing his brothers, trying to read if there has been any significant change in their hearts since they sold him to slavery. And this encounter with Judah was all the proof that he really needed. And it was really over the top and more than he could have emotionally handled it at all. Up to this point, he had managed to keep his school in front of his brothers. As far as they knew, he was just some Egyptian. He spoke Egyptian to them and even had translators to translate what they were saying, even though Joseph uh, understood Hebrew, spoke Hebrew, and knew exactly what they were saying before his translators translated for him. He dressed and carried himself like an Egyptian. He sat on an Egyptian throne. He uh, uh, talked like an Egyptian, and most importantly, he walked like an Egyptian. And you're welcome. That will be in your head for the rest of the day. But before his conversation with Judah was over, he had lost all control of the show he was trying to put on. He had lost control of all emotions. He ran everyone but his brothers out of the room, broke down crying, and then revealed himself uh, to them as Joseph. At first, they didn't believe him, and then things shifted to them uh, being scared to death of him because of what they, did to, what they did to him. He reassured them of his love for them, that he had missed them, that he would not re, uh, retaliate against them at all, that although they had done great wrongs against him, it wasn't specifically their actions that brought him to Egypt, but rather God's will in order to bring salvation to Israel and the nations. As a matter of fact, the Talmud talks about how uh, it was so difficult for Joseph to get his brothers to actually believe him when he said, hey, I'm Joseph, right? So he starts to tell them things that only they would, only Joseph would have known about how he got put in slavery and what all happened there. And, and he starts to speak to them in Hebrew and that didn't do the trick. And ultimately, ultimately it says that the reason that he kicked everybody out of the room wasn't because he specifically lost his emotional control, but because he had to show them that he was really Jewish. 
you know what I mean. Um, and, and so that that was what really got their attention and made it more uh, relevant or, or, or easier to understand that this was in fact Joseph, their brother, who they had sold into slavery that was sitting before them. Finally, he sends them back to Canaan to reveal to Jacob that Joseph was alive after all and that he had called for their entire family and household to come down to Egypt to ride out the rest of the famine that was still to come. It took a few minutes for Jacob to catch up to what the brothers were saying to him, but once he put it all together, he was in a hurry to get everything ready to leave and be reunited with his long lost son. In uh, Genesis chapter 45, verse 25, it says, Then they went up to Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler of the whole land of Egypt. His heart went numb, for he, didn't, he did not believe them. But they told him all of Joseph's words that he had told them. When he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to pick him up, the spirit of their father, Jacob, was revived. Then Israel said, enough, my son Joseph is still alive. I must go and see him before I die. It's really interesting that when they come to, Joseph, to Jacob <clears throat> to relay to Jacob that Joseph is alive and that Joseph had, has sent this whole caravan to come and bring him and the household back, it's interesting to see that there appears to be this reality that Jacob still has no clue what happened to Joseph that he has no clue that the brothers sold him. And, and there's no evidence in the text that Joseph or the other sons of Jacob ever revealed to Jacob how Joseph ended up in Egypt, right? And it's really interesting to look at this and to see that Joseph, I, I think personally, that this really reveals a lot about Joseph's heart of forgiveness that we didn't see with Jacob and Esau the way that we hoped to, that we see in Joseph, this favorite son of, of Jacob, who Jacob thought was dead, Joseph, uh, very easily when Jacob comes to him, could have ruined any hope of a relationship, any hope of blessing that the brothers would have had from their father Jacob if he had simply relayed, hey, let me tell you what really happened and why you haven't seen me for 22 years. But instead, he never said anything. He completely kept it to himself. And I, I believe wholeheartedly that this is a beautiful sign of the heart of forgiveness of Joseph and the reality of what it should be for us as followers of Messiah, being willing to forgive those who wrong us. And it is here at the beginning of Jacob's journey to Egypt that we will be focusing on in this Shabbat sermon as we look at the three promises God made to him and his vision of Genesis 46. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Genesis 46, chapter 46, verse 1. Genesis 46, verse, verse 1. So Israel set out along with everything that belonged to him. When he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. In visions of the night, God said to Israel, Jacob, Jacob, Hineni, he said, which means here I am. Verse 3, I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will turn you into a great nation there. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I myself will also most certainly bring you up. Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. Adonai called Abraham out of Ur of Chaldees to leave his family and everything he had ever known and to go to the land of Canaan, the promised land. He promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation, that all the nations of the world would be blessed because of him, and that the promised land would be his descendants' eternal inheritance. 
Abraham made sure that his son Isaac did not leave the land to go back to where they came from, but instead to remain in the promised land and to patiently await the fulfillment of Adonai's promise. However, Isaac did not do the same with Jacob and ultimately via some outside influence chose to send him away back to Haran to find a bride and Jacob spent 22 years in self-imposed exile from the promised land. Along the way, Adonai made the same covenantal promise to Jacob that he made to Abraham and to Isaac before him. But it was a long time before he found his way back to the promised land again and ultimately to the fulfillment of these promises from the Lord. Decades and much heartache later, Jacob is being asked to pack it all up and to leave the promised land again. But there is an emotional pull to rush out again. The first time it was because of fear for his own life because of what had been done, uh, what he had done to Esau. But this time, it is in yearning to be reconnected to his long lost son, Joseph. But unlike the last time, this time is actually divinely orchestrated and the Lord takes the time to reveal this to him before he leaves and sees the promised land for the last time in his life. So we see the reappearance of Beersheba, the well of seven or the well of blessing, which when, we, when he left the promised land the first time, it was from here that he ran. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that he left from Beersheba, which is the city uh, or the, the well of peace, uh, the well of seven, sorry, the well of blessings. Uh, it is where the waters of life would flow, uh, hypothetically speaking. And he left there to go to Haran. And Haran was a place of, of uh, uh, total thirst and, and uh, unfulfilled uh, thirst, un, unrelieved thirst, a place of parchment is what the, the word Haran actually means. And so he left uh, from Beersheba to go to Haran, and here again he stops in Beersheba before going down to Egypt. Genesis 28 verse 10 says, Then Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He happened upon a certain place and spent the night there, for the sun had set. So he took one of the stones from the place and put it by his head and lay down in that place. So it is only fitting that once again, as he is leaving the promised land, the land of blessing, that he experienced an encounter with God once more in the same area. And it is really, it, and, and it really doesn't uh, appear the text, it doesn't appear in the text as though Jacob has really stopped to consider God's plan in all of this up to this point, but rather his completely, he's completely blindly, uh, he's completely blinded, I'll learn to read one day, but rather he's completely blinded by the excitement of the thought of being reunited with Joseph. And perhaps even with the memory in the back of his head of Joseph's dream. Remember, it says that when Joseph relayed these two dreams to his family, that his father, his brothers got mad, his father rebuked him. But it says that Jacob kept the dream in the back of his mind, just in case. But it is funny how often, uh, even when we fail to take the time to consider God's will in a uh, set of circumstances, he will make sure to get our attention anyways. And this is exactly what we see happening in the first of the three promises Adonai makes to Jacob here in Genesis 46. Verse two says, in visions of the night, God said to Israel, Jacob, Jacob, Hineni, he said, I am God, the God of your fathers, he said. I am God, the God of your fathers. You may find yourself asking, how is this statement considered a promise? This is one of the greatest promises we see throughout scripture. Almost every single time I can think of in scripture in which the Lord reveals himself to a person, he does so with similar words to begin with. This is a promise in and of itself. I am God, the God of your father. Jacob is in a hurry. He is rushing to be reunited with his long lost son, the son he has 
for 22 years thought was dead and he'd never see again. He isn't even remotely thinking about God as he packs and preps to jet out. So God has him slow down for just a moment. Have you ever had such an encounter with God? I, I picture this dream almost as if God realizes Jacob was forgetting the most important question. What is God doing in all of this? So he causes Jacob to just simply slow down for a moment. I picture the Lord appearing to him in his dream and sort of grabbing Jacob by both arms gently, getting his attention and looking him in the eyes as if to say, slow down for a moment, take a breather, just take a moment to think before you rush. Keep in mind, Jacob didn't exactly have the textbook example of a life after the heart of God before he came back to the promised land. And a fact that we are all uh, too well aware of, it is very easy to revert back to our old self, our flesh man, if you will, when our cages get a little rattled, when we lose focus on God's direction because of circumstances around us. This is what is happening here. Jacob has lost focus on God and is fixated solely on reuniting with Joseph and is rushing with thinking, without thinking, without praying, without considering God at all. So Adonai slows him down and makes the first uh, of three promises here. I am God, the God of your father. And such a powerful promise as truly is. So powerful, in fact, that they are not only the first promise we see here, but this promise is also the first commandment spoken to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. It is the same promise made over and over again throughout Scripture to the men and women of God. The simple phrase, I am God, the God of your father. It is so powerful, so surreal, so personal, so intentional, and so comforting. It is perhaps all-encompassing of human emotion. Often when we are in situations where we are in such a hurry to go, 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 that we forget to consider God, we forget to consider what is he doing in this situation. We forget to seek his will and his direction. I don't know about you, but I find myself uh, most thankful when before everything blows up in my face in these situations that the Lord causes me to pause and to ponder for a moment, to slow down just long enough for him to reassure me, to realign me, and to recalibrate me. When he causes me to slow down long enough to hear him speak the ever-powerful promise over me, I am God, the God of your father. The second promise Adonai makes to Jacob here in Beersheba is from Genesis 46, verse 3b, if you will, the, the second part of verse 3. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will turn you into a great nation there. Could you imagine being Jake in Jacob's shoes right now? You're on the run again, albeit this time for a good reason, but nonetheless on the run and running from the promised land of all things. The last time you ran like this, you could care less about the God of your fathers. You didn't really have a relationship with them to begin with, but now you do. Now you've experienced his blessings and love firsthand. You've seen the fulfillment of his promises, but yet again, you find yourself running from the promised land without even remotely considering God at all. You're, you're blinded by emotion once again, last time fear and this time excitement. So God stops you and speaks to you once again. But hearing his voice and being sort of mentally awakened to exactly what you're doing would probably cause great fear and concern. More so probably cause you to have the thought of, crap, how did I let myself do this again? So the second promise Adonai makes to Jacob here in verse 46 of Gen uh, here in chapter 46 
of Genesis is, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will turn you into a great nation there. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't think God is specifically talking to Jacob about his immediate fear and awe at hearing the voice of God again. But I don't doubt in the least that Jacob wasn't again afraid, nor that these words did in fact bring great comfort to his immediate fear. But aside from what these words did to Jacob emotionally, this is a very powerful, very important promise that God is making to Jacob. Keep in mind, up to this point, every time God made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, or to Jacob, it was specifically about the eternal inheritance of the land and the covenant he had made with them. Yet this time, God is telling Jacob that it is he who is bringing Jacob out of the promised land. Now Adonai had already prophesied to Abraham that not only would his descendants be a foreigner and a foreign nation, but that they would ultimately be enslaved for a period of time, as we see in Genesis 15. So clearly what is happening here isn't a surprise to Adonai. And I believe that this promise being spoken to Jacob is in direct connection to the prophecy Adonai spoke to Abraham in Genesis 15. Yet, there is always great trepidation in packing up and moving, and especially in reconnecting to long-lost loved ones. And in the immediate sense, it is to this fear that Adonai is speaking to. But the promise is far greater. In fact, do not be afraid is something the Lord speaks to his people all over the Bible. We see it in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. Chazak, be courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble before them. For Adonai, your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you nor abandon you. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Chazak, be strong. Do not be terrified or dismayed. For Adonai, your God, is with you wherever you go. Luke 12, 32, in the midst of instruction, instructing his Talmudim, Yeshua says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father chose to give you the kingdom. 1 Peter 3, 14 to 15, but even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not be afraid or worry about threats. Instead, sanctify Messiah as Lord in your hearts. And these are but a few of the many, many passages in which the Bible instructs us not to fear. The commands often come in various situations and for various reasons, but the core of the promise is always the same. Do not fear because I am. How often do we begin to move in, direction, in a direction God is taking us, and while we are excited to follow his leading, we are scared to death of the what-ifs. I know I'm personally guilty of this, and if you've been through CMC's membership class, then you've likely heard me regularly warning that I give, uh, the, the regular warning that I give, if you come to me with an idea for something, don't be alarmed or offended when my brain goes through 3,376 different ways that it could blow up in our face before I'm able to get to the one scenario in which it could work. I'll never forget, and, and many of you have heard me talk about it before, when uh, God led us to have a healing service for Shavuot a few years back, I don't know, it was maybe five or six years ago. And uh, I, I wholeheartedly believe in the move of God without a doubt. I wholeheartedly believe that God is in the business of healing and restoration, of renewal. I wholeheartedly believe that the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are absolutely valid and real today. But I'm also human. And I also have those mindsets of, well, what if? And so God put it on our heart to have a, a, a healing service on Shavuot. And it seems like every year our Shavuot services are just a little bit different. But, but this one particular year, we, we felt the Lord say, I want you to have a healing service. I want you to open it up to the public and just pray over people. 
just pray for healing on people. And we started announcing and putting out there and the whole time I'm going, but what if? Like what if nothing happens? What if we pray for people and nothing happens? Nobody's life has changed whatsoever. And I couldn't get out of that what if mindset. And we're marketing this, we're advertising, we're putting it out there. We're announcing it in the congregation, but I couldn't get mentally out of the what if mindset. And so I called a bunch of rabbi friends that I have that I see counsel from from time to time. I called some pastors and, and I said, look, here's what I feel the Lord has called us to do. It's been confirmed through other people in the congregation that we're supposed to do this, but I can't get past the what if. What do we do if nothing happens? Like, how do we get past that? God tells us to do this and then nothing. How do we get past that? And the overwhelming response was this. We have no guarantee of what's going to happen. But if God says do it, just do it. Let God worry about the what ifs. Let God handle the what ifs. Just get out of God's way and do what he calls you to do. And so we did, and we had this healing service, and God did some really amazing and awesome things uh, in this service. And I mean, we watched people, uh, Mr. Bob, get up and walk, right? Uh, uh, throw it literally through his walker across the sanctuary and walking around the room. And uh, for weeks afterwards, walking, we'd run into Bob and Maxine at Walmart, and here's Bob just tooling around Walmart, enjoying himself without a walker or anything. Uh, we, I mean, just one thing after another, so many different things that were happening. We prayed for this one person who had this, this hump on their back. And for the life of me, I don't even remember who they were. And I haven't seen them back since. But we prayed for them. They had this huge hump on their back, uh, this growth there, whatever it was. And we started to pray for them. And as we're praying for them, I've got my hand on this, this growth on their back. As we're praying for them, it starts to move. <laughs> and I'm like, what the, what the heck is it? What do you mean? I don't, uh, what is going? And I went, oh, wait, wait, no. We're praying, maybe this is God. And so we get back and I start praying again. And what's happening is this growth is shrinking as we're praying. And we keep praying and it keeps shrinking. And ultimately this, this growth, whatever it was, was completely gone. And it all happened while we were there. We just got past the what ifs. Now don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean I wasn't still thinking what if. I just gave up on worrying about the what if and focused on the what if. You know, we were stuck in the what if nothing happens and God was saying, but what if something does? But what if you give me room to move? And so we got past the what ifs and we moved to the what if. We got past the fear and we moved to the do not fear. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And the promise is the same for you and I today as it was for Jacob in this week's Parsha. Or Israel or Joshua in Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua 1. Or the disciples being encouraged and uh, prepared by Yeshua in the Gospels. Do not fear. And when we are walking in the Ruach, what do we have to fear? The third promise that Adonai makes to Jacob is Genesis 46.4. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I myself will also most certainly will bring you up. What's another way of wording this that we see all over the Bible? I will never leave you nor forsake you. This verse, uh, this very message has been at the center of everything Adonai has said to and done for Jacob throughout his entire life up to this, per, 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 up to this point and beyond. 
It is a reality that Jacob fully accepts right before encountering Esau when he finally comes to the promised land. But whether Jacob realized it or not, the truth remains the same. The Lord never left him. And here in Genesis 46, as Jacob is preparing to head down to Egypt to temporarily walk away from the promised land yet again, God is reminding him yet again that he is prepared, that he is preparing the way, that he will be with Jacob going to Egypt and with Jacob's descendants coming back. Remember, this is the beginning of what sets up the fulfillment of Adonai's word to Abraham, that his descendants would be enslaved and suffer but would ultimately, ultimately be redeemed by God's mighty hand and returned to be established as a nation in the promised land. God was preparing the way, not only for Jacob and Joseph's reunion, not only for the inevitable enslavement of Israel in Egypt, but ultimately he was laying the foundation for divine salvation from slavery and the prophetic reality that it foreshadowed in Messiah Yeshua. When Jacob escaped uh, his, uh, his brother Esau's murderous desires and fled to the promised land, he received this, uh, fled from the promised land, sorry. He, he uh, received the same message from Adonai. We read in Genesis 28, 15. Behold, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not forsake you. I have done, until I have done what I promised you. The message and the promise is the same in both cases. The only difference is the heart of Jacob. And the fact that Adonai is actually leading Jacob out of the promised land this time. He promises Jacob he will never leave nor forsake him. He will never abandon him no matter where Jacob goes, no matter how far from the promised land. Adonai will never leave him nor forsake him. Also, I really love how uh, the Lord says in Genesis 28, 15, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I promised you. Think about it. What God promised Jacob isn't specifically or solely just about Jacob. No more than what was promised to Abraham and Isaac was about them specifically or solely. No, the promise is far greater. It is about their descendants, the nation of Israel, and particularly the seed of that being a blessing to the entire world. So when the Lord says he will not forsake Jacob until he has done all he promised Jacob, this goes way beyond Jacob being brought back to the promised land. It goes way beyond uh, the nation of Israel being birthed out of Egypt. It goes way beyond the covenant cut at Sinai. It goes way beyond Israel taking possession of the promised land. It goes way beyond Israel coming back after the Babylonian captivity. Look, it goes beyond the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. He will never leave nor forsake his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob until all things are complete and we are worshiping around the throne of the Father for all eternity. I want you to understand something. This promise is as pertinent and real to you and I today as it was to Jacob at Beersheba. When the Lord spoke these words to him, Jacob was on a journey that would ultimately pave the way for God's redemption of Israel and bring them out of slavery and to freedom. You and I are on this, that same exact journey day in and day out. We may not be leaving the promised land to find food and safety in Egypt, but we do find ourselves daily in the world. Not only, not of the world, but in the world. Just as Jacob was about to find himself and his family rooted in Egypt, but no matter how messed up the world around us gets, no matter how far from God our friends and family run, no matter how bad our job situations are, no matter how much uncertainty we see all around us, the promise remains the same. 
I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I myself will also most certainly bring you up. It may not always be the easiest scenario to trust in those promises from a human vantage point, depending, uh, depending on what's happening in life around us, but our vantage point really doesn't change the simple reality that God will never leave nor forsake us. What's more is that as believers in Messiah, uh, we, that, that we have become the Mishkan, we have become the resting place of the presence of God. We have the word made flesh, Yeshua HaMashiach, within us. We have the anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh upon us and leading us. And we can't outrun him, no matter how hard we try. And I have tried and tried and tried and failed over and over and over again. We cannot outrun him, no matter how hard we try. So when he says he goes before us and prepares the way, when he says he goes with us and will not leave us, he means it. Jacob didn't necessarily believe it when God said it the first time to him on his run from Esau, but he knows without a doubt that he can trust in it now. And even more so than Jacob, you and I can trust in the same promise today because that blessing to the nations through the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has come in the person of Yeshua. And he gave his life so that you and I can be redeemed and restored, so we can be freed from slavery to sin. And this is the very reality of Yeshua's words to his Talmudim, to his disciples in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, which says, now the 11 disciples went to the Galilee, to the mountain Yeshua had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some wavered. And Yeshua came up to them and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And now you and I are to pick up the call of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the call of the Talmudim of Yeshua HaMashiach, to proclaim his salvation to the ends of the world. And just as uh, as he, his, and just as he did with Jacob, his promises will always be with us. As we prepare to close, I'd like to go ahead and call our worship team back up to the stage. And after the, the message, we're going to spend a few minutes together in worship as we close out our service this Shabbat. As they make their way back up, I just want to remind you of this, the, the, this passage we're reading here in Genesis 46, 1 through 4. So Israel set out along with everything that belonged to him. When he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. In visions of the night, God said to Israel, Jacob, Jacob, Hineni, he said, I am the God, I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will turn you into a great nation there. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I myself will most certainly bring you up. Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. Adonai reiterated his faithfulness to Jacob here. Was it necessary? No. If Jacob couldn't trust in God's faithfulness to him after all these years, then that's on him, not God. But he wanted to. The Lord wanted to reaffirm his faithfulness to him and he wants to reaffirm, reaffirm his faithfulness to you and to I today. As we've said already, there are three promises that are found here that are just as vital to our walks today as they were to Jacob then. One, I am God, the God of your fathers. Two, 
Do not be afraid. Three, I myself will go with you. Or as we've been paraphrasing things, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It is so easy in our human nature and working in our own strength to forget that these divine promises are true and eternal. It is so easy to take the, these realities for granted as we've, noticed, uh, as we've noted time and time again. This year has been a crazy and ridiculous roller coaster ride. We've all experienced so much that has been terrible and I hate to be the one to break it to you but it isn't really gonna get any easier from here. But at the same time, if you have experienced anything like I have, despite how terrible this year has been and how much the enemy has attempted to discourage me, I've also experienced some pretty awesome blessings as well. For me, this year has been like an injection of steroids into my discipleship and to my faith. I have seen God do some amazing things in my life and in many of yours. I have been stressed out about our congregation in the midst of a global pandemic and post-major hurricane destruction. But despite my stress level, my anxiety, and my overall human flaws, God has been ridiculously faithful to me and to CMC. And it has been such an encouragement to see. I highly doubt that the prophecy spoken to Abraham about his descendants being enslaved and being redeemed from slavery as a nation was lost on Jacob as he made his way to Egypt. But nonetheless, he was finally able to trust God's faithfulness. We sang the, the song earlier this morning during uh, worship, Waymaker, which says, you are, my, you are Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. That is who you are. And that is who Adonai is. Even when we don't see it, he is faithful. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't, I don't really know what walls you're running into. I don't know what pains and hurts you're suffering. I don't know what wounded or lost relationships you're mourning. But no matter what, his promises are always the same. I am God, the God of your fathers. Do not be afraid. I myself will go with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Abarachmim, Father of mercies, we worship you, Lord. We thank you that you are a faithful God. Even when we are faithless, you are faithful. Even when we struggle to believe and we struggle to, to trust in you and we struggle to walk fervently with you, you are faithful. And you are constantly drawing us back to you. Father, even when we're going through those times of slavery in Egypt, you are faithful. Lord, I thank you that no matter where we go or how far we try to run, that you never let go. That you never let us get away from you. That we can never outrun you. And that, Father, as hard as it is for us to understand that you know all things before they ever happen. And no matter how far we try to run, you have prepared that way solely so we can be brought back to you. So, Father, I pray right now that you will begin to teach us what it means to be faithful and return to you. What it means to faithfully trust in your promises what it means to faithfully be Tamudim, disciples of Yeshua. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us as we move forward, that we will take up the purpose of the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all nations. A mercy in the name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, because you are with us even until the end of the age. And Father, we trust faithfully 
that you are in control and that you are breathing new life into us so that we can be used for the good and glory of your kingdom and that we may experience the might and the power of your ever-enduring love for your creation. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen.